today, uh, we have uh, three weeks left in our story of Acts. And um, uh, what I wanted to do today is really kind of take a look at almost all of the chapters as we get ready to close in Acts 23 through 28. And um, I wanted to just really wrestle with, is there a theme in these closing chapters? Because it's very interesting stories with the Apostle Paul about where he is and, and ultimately where God's bringing him. Um, so we're going to look at uh, a lot of different parts of uh, the story here today, but I wanted to start by asking a question. Uh, and the question is this, do you ever feel like your life is just ridiculously complicated? Uh, I don't mean just busy. Uh, I feel like everyone could say, yes, I feel busy. But do you ever feel like your life is just ridiculously complicated? Uh, things in your life are just Sometimes they just, you have no idea what on earth is happening and why it's happening and how long it's going to happen. And you kind of just throw your hands up in the air and be like, what on earth is going on in what is called my life? Now, I'm going to guess that there's many of us who would say, yeah, I absolutely have moments where it just is so ridiculously confusing and complicated, I throw my hands up. But I'm also going to guess that a lot of us not just have those moments, but many of those moments are not momentary, as it were. They actually describe pretty much what every day, what every week, what every month has seemed to, to feel like. And so because I think we can connect with that, uh, I wanted to ask the question in follow-up is, do you believe that God is committed to accomplishing His will in your life? Uh, and this is a big question. Do you believe that God is committed to accomplishing His will in your life? So despite the complications and despite the confusion and despite the hardships and the hurts and everything that's happening or not happening, do you believe that God is committed to accomplishing His will in your life? And I wanted to emphasize, I'm not asking if God is committed to accomplishing your will. Uh, if God is committed to accomplishing your dreams, your desires, your wishes, your wants, and so on, I'm asking, do you believe that he is committed to uh, accomplishing his will in your life? Now, as I mentioned, uh, I'm going to lump five chapters today into one big common theme and then look at some of these stories and how they play out. But here's the common theme that I see in Acts 23 through the end is just this. God is committed to accomplishing his will in your life. God is, a, is committed uh, to accomplishing his will, again, not your will, committed to accomplishing his will in your life. So no circumstance, no person, no persons, nothing will hinder God's will from being accomplished in your life. Now, I hope that would encourage you. I hope that would inspire you to hear someone say that. I think what happens when you hear that, you're like, that kind of sounds good, but I have no idea what God's will for my life is. And so let me ask you that question. What is God's will for your life? If someone asked you, what would you say? What would you say if someone just came up to you, whether you know them or not, and say, hey, what is God's plan? What is God's purpose? What is God's will for your life? Now, if asked that, how many of you immediately would begin thinking about your life, about you? When you are asked, what is God's will for your life? How many immediately jump to the you in that question, the you being you? Uh, and you begin thinking about, well, the details of my life in terms of, well, what is God's 
will for my life in, in terms of where I'm supposed to live and my career and where I'm supposed to work or where I'm supposed to go to school or who I'm supposed to ask out on a date, who I'm supposed to put a ring on their finger, if I should say yes to that person, if I should get married. and who, like, How many of you, when you think about what is God's will for my life, begin immediately thinking about you and the details that make up your life? Now, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to consider the details of your life when thinking about God's will for your life, but if you just think about it like that and that's it, you're missing the big picture. Uh, You're missing the bigger aspect of God's will. So let me ask another question. If you were to ask Paul, if you were to interview the Apostle Paul, he gave you five minutes and you could ask one question. Your one question was, Paul, what was God's will for your life? What do you think Paul would say? How do you think Paul the Apostle Paul would answer the question, Paul, what was God's will for you? Do you think Paul would say, well, to be an apostle, to be a church planner, to be a leader, a discipler, a pastor, or an author? Like all of those things were true about Paul. He was all of those things and then some, but I'm pretty confident. I don't think Paul would actually answer the question of God's will for his life was apostle, church planner, leader, disciple, pastor. Again, those were roles. Those are details uh, that God clearly led him to. I just don't think that's how Paul would answer the question. Now, this might surprise, maybe even shock some of you, but I think he would answer the question the exact same way that God would want us to answer the question of, what is God's will for your life? Now, before I would share with you uh, that answer of what is God's will, how would Paul at least answer that? How might we answer that? Uh, I wanted to remind us kind of of the setting, of the, the scene, as it were, of where we are. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced a dark night of the soul. I'm, I don't know if you've ever heard of that phrase, but the dark night of the soul is that, that place that when you're so physically tired, so emotionally tired, so relationally tired, um, that you just, you're at bottom. You're in that dark night of the soul, and you start to be, begin wonder, what is the point of all of this? What is the point of this doesn't ever, and I'm not talking like a suicidal question, I'm talking about the question where your soul is just so overwhelmed. Nothing seems to be going the way that I think it's supposed to be going. And I continue to be here, and I just don't want to be here. So Paul, in my mind, where we find him today, is having one of those dark night of the soul moments. Remember last week, uh, the Roman soldiers rescued him uh, from being killed by an angry mob of Jewish men and women. They had falsely accused him of doing things and saying things he never did or said. They falsely accused him of of lies, uh, and there was such a riot uh, taking place that the Roman guards had to physically, literally rescue him and take him to prison. Um, And I imagine as Paul sat in prison, how depressed, how discouraged he was, because for years, he had been excited to go to Jerusalem. He'd been so excited to go see the men and women that he'd been praying for. He was so excited to bring a financial gift to the men and the women, the church in Jerusalem, because the church had gone through a major, Jerusalem had gone through a famine. And so he's coming to Jerusalem with such high hopes, such high expectations. But when he gets there, total rejection. Total, I mean, they even said to him in Acts 22, you're not even fit to live anymore. And so can you imagine sitting in prison because the people 
that you came to love, the people that you came to care about, the people that you came to bless and serve, said, you're not even fit to live and we're going to try to kill you. And the Romans, who aren't even a big fan of you either, are the ones who are protecting you. So this is a dark night of the soul moment for Paul. And what I love about this, and this is not the first time this has happened to Paul, is in the dark night of the soul moment, uh, Jesus showed up. Jesus appeared to, to Paul in prison. And it says this in Acts 23, verse 11. That night, we're talking Paul in prison. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul. Really, Jesus? Because I don't know if you can see where I am, but I'm in prison and I was beat up again and they think I should die and now I'm going to be in, on trial for my life. But Jesus says, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Jesus appears to him in the dark night uh, moment. And I said this a few weeks back and it's wanted to repeat it, but I wrote it in my journal like this. Jesus meets us right where we are and gives us what we need so that we can keep going to where he wants us to be. That's what happened with Paul. Right when Paul needed, Jesus showed up and told him exactly what he needed to hear to encourage him to say, Paul, have courage. You were a witness here in Jerusalem. I'm sending you to Rome. You're going to stand before the emperor. You're going to stand before Nero and testify about me. Now, let me go back to the question. How would Paul answer that question? What is God's will for my life? If you were just to look at Acts 23, verse 11, and I'll read it again, how do you think Paul would answer the question, what is God's will for me? Be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness, try to dramatic there, <laughs> as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Paul, you have been a witness here, and guess what? I'm sending you to Rome. Why? So you can be a witness for me there. I think Paul would say that God's will for him was simply this, I am a witness. Paul, what is God's will for you? I'm a witness. It doesn't matter where I am, if I'm in prison, if I'm traveling, if I'm on the road, if I'm with people I know or don't know, Christian or non-Christian, what is God's will for me? God's will for me is that I would be a witness no matter where I am, no matter who I am with. So what is God's will for me? What is God's will for you? Does God have details of your life that he reveals? Absolutely. But the thing that inspires, encourages, challenges me most about this and how I think and understand about what is God's will for me, God's will, big picture, is that I, if I'm a Christian, is that I would be his witness. So no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what role I have or don't have, no matter where I live or could live, no matter what people I'm with, God's will for me is that I would be a witness. And this is exactly the thing that Jesus told the church when we started this story in Acts. In chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, through Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this isn't like new information, like, wow, I didn't know that. Jesus told them from day one, you're going to be my witness. 
My will for you, for Christ followers, for Christians, is that wherever you are, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, everywhere you are, you're going to be my witness. Understanding that that is God's will for your life will transform everything in your life, will transform every relationship, every friendship, every situation, every opportunity. I wrote it down for me like this. If I understand that God's will for me, first and foremost, is that I would be a witness, then in life, no matter where I am or who I'm with, I'm a witness of Jesus, who he is, what he's done. In family, I am first, I'm a witness to my wife, Kyla, of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing. So Kyla should be able to look at me and say, that is a witness of the power of God. That is a witness of an example of what God can do with a really messed up person. I am in my family to my three kids. I'm first and foremost, God's will for me is to be a witness to them, to Tristan, Riley, and Caden, of who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus can do. In my neighborhood, go down the list, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I am first and foremost in God's will, I am a witness. So how would Paul answer the question? How would you, how would I answer the question? Is God's will for you is to understand uh, that your life is to be a witness to who Jesus is, to what Jesus has done, to what Jesus is doing. So what I wanted all of us to see in these remaining stories in, uh, in Acts is simply this. God is committed to accomplishing his will in your life. In other words, God is committed to seeing that you will be his witness. God is committed to that. He's not committed to your will. Uh, And I hope that doesn't burst too many bubbles, but he's not committed to your dream. He's not committed to your plan, your purpose, your desire, your goals. But he is committed, relentlessly, faithfully committed to accomplishing his will, meaning your witness in your life. And so... I want to share three things with you. If, if God is committed to accomplishing his will in our lives, then what are some things that I would need to know about God that would actually help me live my life in view of this is God's will for me, that I would be a witness? I'll share with you three. Here's a tongue twister for you. Number one, God will use the most complicated complications in your life to get you to where he wants you to be so that you can witness to those he sends you to the simple message about Jesus. If you don't feel like writing that down, it will be on our website later today. God will use the most complicated complications. God will use the most problematic problems. However redundant you can be, I'm trying to emphasize, God will use the most trying, difficult, hard, complicated situations in your life to get you to where he wants you to be so that you can be a witness to those that he sends you to, who he is. So as I consider the Apostle Paul, I think he had a lot of moments in his life where he just kind of threw up his hands in the air and was like, really? Now this? You ever have those moments where your day has started and you thought it started really well, but then you're five minutes into it and you're like, really? Now this? This is how I start my day and this is now how I'm going to start my week? I, I think Paul, I'll just share with you two of those moments where it was like, really? Really? Now this, Paul sitting in prison, 
Uh, and he was going to be transported from where he was in Jerusalem uh, to Caesarea, uh, specifically to see the governor of the Judea region, and his name was Governor Felix. Uh, so the night before uh, that he was, uh, or the, when he was, the next day he was going to be transported, uh, he hears of a story of there's an assassination attempt on your life, Paul. And I can only imagine Paul's like, as if it isn't enough that I'm sitting in prison, I'm going to have to go meet Felix, who's notoriously not favorable towards Christians, and he's going to decide my fate, whether I live or die. Now there's an assassination team who have plotted to kill me. And it says this in Acts 23. Just read a few verses. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Now, I'm just not sure I'd want to be part of that group. Whoever was the ringleader was like, hey, let's not eat or drink until he's dead. I don't know if I would have said yes, but 40 people said yes. Okay, go on to verse 16, 17. But Paul's nephew his sister's son heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. So Paul called, imagine Paul having that moment where his nephew's like, you gotta be kidding me. There's 40 guys who've committed not to eat or drink until I'm dead, really? And so Paul says this, Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. Okay, so either this is a crazy coincidence that Paul's nephew just happened to be in earshot of this assassination plot taking place, or could it possibly be that God would once again use a complicated complication in Paul's life to get him to where he wanted him to be in order to be a witness? I'm going to choose the latter because this is what happened. The young nephew goes to the commander and reports, this is what I've heard. And so the commander's response is simply this. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spears, uh, spearmen and 70 mounted troops, provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. So Paul, who was about to be killed, but God was like, he ain't going to be killed because you're going to stand before the emperor. And I'm not going to let a plot of 40 people who are not bright enough stop my will from being accomplished in your life. Can you imagine the scene it was when Paul rides into town on a horse with 470 of Rome's toughest soldiers? What an entourage that God gave Paul to protect Paul, to make sure that Paul got to where God wanted Paul to be so Paul would be a witness to who God is and to what God is like and what God has done. Here's a second scene in Paul's life. This is now jumping towards Acts 27, okay? The scene is Paul has stood trial before Governor Felix uh, and stood trial before others, but Paul had appealed to Caesar and said, I want my case tried before Caesar. And so they were sending him to Rome, but he was a thousand plus miles away, uh, so it's quickest by ship. And so, would you know it, a nor'easter just happens to come out of nowhere and is on the verge of destroying and killing all the men, including Paul, that are on board this ship. So Acts 27, verse 20 starts and says this, the terrible storm raged for many days blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Okay, so this is serious. Like, I don't know if you've ever been lost at sea, and I'm guessing many of you probably have not. 
I can't imagine how terrifying it would be to think, we're going to die. I'm literally just waiting to die right now. All hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. And finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left for Crete. Because Paul told them beforehand, guys, this is not a good idea. We should not be traveling these waters in the winter season like this. Not a good plan. And so I love how Paul actually reminds them, I told you so. So if you're looking for a verse where you can go to someone with an I told you so, it's right here in Acts uh, 27. But take, uh, he goes on, um, you would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You will surely stand trial before Caesar. Isn't that amazing? Even a nor'easter is not going to stop God from getting Paul to where he wants Paul to be because God is committed to accomplishing his will in our lives. And specifically for Paul, Paul, I told you, you will stand trial before Caesar. You will have an audience with Nero. You will be able to bear witness, to give witness to who Jesus is, to what Jesus has done, and to what Jesus is doing. Now, obviously, lots could be said about that one story, but I just wanted you to catch. God is committed to accomplishing his will in your life, and he will get you no matter how complicated the situation might be. No matter how desperate, hopeless it might be, no matter how problematic it might be, God's going to get you there. Why? Because he's committed to accomplishing his will in your life. Now, this is where it gets tricky. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that God is actually committed to accomplishing his will in your life, you'll have no confidence in how you live every day. You will be plagued with things like anxiety and fear and worry of what could happen here, what might happen here. But Paul... What does he do in the midst of a crew of 400 plus who've lost all hope, we're going to die? Paul is the guy that stands up and say, take courage. I know who my God is, and my God spoke to me and told me, you are going to have audience with Caesar, and Caesar's in Rome, that's where you're going. He had such confidence that God would get him to where God wanted him to be in order to accomplish what God wanted him to do, to be a witness. Now, I don't know if you're in the midst of a complicated complication right now or if one awaits you tomorrow, but I want you to know that whatever it is, no matter how bad, confusing, or hard it might be, I wanted you to know you can trust that God will be faithful. You can trust that God is, will be faithful to accomplish his will in your life so that you can be a witness to those that he sends you to. Second thing that we learn and can learn about God is this. Uh, God will keep you where he wants you as long as he wants you so that you can be uh, a witness, his witness, to those he has you with. I just wanted to make these as long, as tongue-tied as possible for you. God will keep you where he wants you as long as he wants you so that you can be a witness, his witness, to those he has you with. Okay, jump back a little bit in the story. Paul safely arrives from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And the first governor that he meets uh, is Felix. And Felix, uh, 
decides because Felix is known as a people pleaser, and he saw that it was good. He, he had uh, crowd approval if he kept Paul locked up in prison. And so it says this in verse 27 of chapter 24. After two years went by this way, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Man, it's like God got him to Caesarea with quite an entourage. But now I'm going to be locked up for two years just because this guy, Felix, wants the people to like him and love him and approve of him. So I'm going to be stuck now in prison for two years. I imagine Paul at this point is, okay, God, what are you doing here? And what I love about what I learned from Paul, what I learned about God in this one aspect of the story is God is going to keep you where he wants you. And he will keep you there as long as he wants you to be there so that wherever that is, you can be a witness. In verse 27, it said, after two years went by in this way. Now, if you read back prior in verse chapter 24, for two years, Felix uh, and his wife, Governor Felix and his wife, Drusilla, had ongoing conversations with the Apostle Paul about who Jesus is. For two years, the Apostle Paul was able to minister, witness to Felix and his wife, Drusilla. God wanted Paul exactly in prison so Paul could bear witness to Felix and his entire household about who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. Now, I'm going to guess that you've been frustrated uh, at times, and maybe this might be one of those times right now, uh, where you're not where you want to be. You're in a season that just doesn't seem to end. You're in a place, whether geographically, career-wise, relational-wise, marriage-wise, you're like, I just don't want to be in this place anymore. And the, the prevailing thought is, if I could just be over here, it would be so much better. Because over here, not so good. But I just know if I could be here, I know I would be so much more happy, I would be flourishing, I would be excited, I'd be thriving. And we tell ourselves these things. And so while we stay over here, we completely miss what God is trying to accomplish with where he puts us, and he will keep us in this place. Why? So we can bear witness to those that we're in this place with. For Paul, I think one of the hard lessons that he had to learn right away is really two things. I think he, he realized Paul is not really in control of Paul. God is in control of Paul. And I think he also had to realize pretty quickly that those who seem to be in control of Paul, religious leaders, Roman uh, authority, were not actually the ones who were in control, that it was actually God who was controlling them. And so I feel like Paul could actually say, you know what, if God's going to have me in prison for two years, then for two years, I'm going to love this man, Felix. And I'm going to love his household. And I'm going to love these Roman guards. And for two years, I will be exactly where God wants me to be. And when God sees fit to move me somewhere else, nothing will change. I'll just be a witness over here. But as long as I'm here, I will be a witness. My encouragement, I think it's obviously challenging, is this. I don't know why you are where you are. And I don't know how long you will be where you are. But God's going to keep you there. He will keep you there to accomplish his will for what he has for you there so that you would be a witness 
uh, to him there. Lastly, third point, finish with uh, this one. God will place you where you'd never be able to place yourself so that he can accomplish through you what you'd never be able to accomplish on your own. God will place you where you'd never be able to place yourself so that he can accomplish through you what you'd never be able to accomplish on your own. What's amazing to me as I look at Acts 23 through 28 is the A-listers that Paul was able to witness to. I mean, we are talking about the A-listers of the culture of the time. Okay, so he was able to bear witness in Acts 23 and 24 to the highest level of leadership within the Jewish community. The high priest, the one who was in charge of everything. In 23 and 24, Paul is able uh, to bear witness to them. This is who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing. Claudius uh, uh, Lysias, who was, happened to be the commander uh, in charge of the Roman regiment in Jerusalem, oversaw thousands. Uh, he was able, for a time, to bear witness to the highest-ranking official uh, in the Jerusalem province. And his impact is told from Acts 22 to Acts 28. Countless Roman guards were able to see this man, hear this man, and be inspired and challenged by who this man was and bear witness. Paul was able to bear witness to them. Governor Felix, who was over all of Judea, and his wife Drusilla for two years, Paul was able to bear witness to them. Uh, governor Portius Festus, who was the governor after Felix, and his sister, uh, Paul was, or not his sister, but just him, was able to bear witness to him and his household. King Agrippa, who was the great, great, great grandson uh, to King Herod the Great. He was the last in the line of the Herods. King Agrippa, Paul had an audience with King Agrippa and his sister Bernice in Acts 25 and 26, where Paul is able to bear witness of King Agrippa. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done, and this is what Jesus is doing. And eventually, he was able to plead his case before Caesar. And when Paul pled his case, he told the story, and the story was, I was on the road to Damascus. And I was going to kill Christians, but Jesus showed up. So as I look at this list of who's who, as it were, there is no way Paul could have ever orchestrated meetings and times and a platform to speak to these people. But God will place you where you'd never be able to place yourself so that he can accomplish through you what you'd never be able to accomplish on your own. I consider Madonna's story, and you come back tonight and hear, a guy who was for years and years and years a ruthless, angry guy, drugs, selling drugs, but God places him in a situation where he's now able to minister and bear witness to 80,000 people? Who does that? There's no way you could have ever orchestrated that. But I consider that story, I consider Paul's story, God is going to place you where you never could have on your own so that God can accomplish with you, through you, things you never would have been able to do on your own. And here is the, the beauty, as it were. Uh, you know, for Paul, I want to read Acts 9, verse 15. And it says this, this is when Paul first met Jesus. The Lord said, go, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. That's what Paul heard from Jesus. Paul, God is going to use you to take 
this message to bear witness to all of Israel, the Gentiles, and to royalty. It took 25 years for that to actually come to fruition. And so for 25 years, Paul was just faithfully saying, I'll bear witness here, I'll bear witness here, I'll bear... And there was no way Paul could have manipulated the situation to have audience in front of royalty. I mean, the who's who of Roman government and leadership, but God orchestrated. It took 25 years. But my point is simply this. God's going to get you there. He's going to place you there in places you'd never be able to go on your own. And here's the beauty of this idea of when we witness. Do you think when Paul told, pick your your who's who, whether it's uh, Governor Felix or Governor uh, Festus or King Agrippa, how many people do you think they said, hey, this crazy guy, Paul, he's telling me that there was a guy who was dead, but now he's alive and his life has changed. Like, how many people do you think these men and women bore witness to once Paul bore witness to them? And this is the beauty of when you and I are witnesses of who God is, what, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, the people that you witness to become witnesses. They might not get it. They might not receive it. They might reject it but they will bear witness to your witness. I met this person today, and they just seemed all fired up, and they seemed to have a joy and a peace and a contentment that I don't have. I rejected what they said, but they just bore witness to what you bore witness to them on. The fact that we are still here 2,000 years later talking about Paul's witness should scream to us, God uses his will, our witness to change the world. So I'm not suggesting that God will place you before a similar list of who's who, as it were, but what I am saying is that the people God's placed in your life, family, neighbors, coworkers, are people you'd never have had the opportunity to witness to unless God made a way. So for me, I see every single person that I meet, whether it's someone here at Genesis that I've known for a while, someone I meet for the first time, Someone I meet at the grocery store, a restaurant, a cafe, someone I meet or see in my neighborhood. I would never have had that opportunity to bear witness to them unless God orchestrated that person and my person, our past to cross. And I can tell you that just makes life so much more interesting when you just see every single person as, I would never have been able to meet this person unless God made a way. And God made a way so I could bear witness to who he is, to what he's done, and what he is doing. Now, the challenge for all of us in this is uh, you got to make a choice. And the choice is simply this. Will you pursue your will or will you pursue God's will for your life? And God's will for your life is that you would bear witness. And if you choose to say, you know what? I want God's will. I want to be witness. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, no matter how long I'm there, I will choose God's will every day of the week. If you choose that, then I want you to be encouraged and inspired to know that God will accomplish his will in your life. But if you choose the alternative of, I just want to chase my life, my dreams, my desires, my plans, God will not be working for you as it were. You'll actually be working against God. And every time I've gone down that path, it was just painful. It was just painful. It was just empty. What is God's will for you? 
Yes, God cares about where you work, where you live, who you marry, your kids. He cares about those details. But above all of that, what is God's will? To be a witness. To be a witness. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter who you're with, God's will is that you would be his witness. Paul, when he was speaking to King Agrippa, telling him, King Agrippa, about what Jesus had done and uh, relaying to King Agrippa his story, says this, uh, Jesus spoke to Paul and said, now get to your feet. Uh, This is Acts 26. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world. Talk about having your mind blown. Tell the world? Jesus says, you are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. See, it's not just a one-time thing. We always can bear witness to the new things that God is doing with and through. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sin and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. You see, God's will is just not so much about you. It's about God using you and your witness so that other people who don't know the forgiveness, the kindness, the love, and the grace of God those who are living in darkness, that they'd see light. Those who have no peace would be filled with the peace of God. Did Paul do it? I love what Paul says to King Agrippa in the very next verse. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I love how Paul said, either I could have in that moment said, that's a terrible idea. You want me to do what? And you want me to go where? And you're going to protect me, so meaning people are going to try to hurt me? I don't like that plan. Paul in that moment could have walked, but he told King Agrippa, and so King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. And Paul lived his life in view of God's will, which was to tell the world and to bear witness to who Jesus is and to what Jesus has done. And I love that no matter where Paul went, he did it. He did it. Like he was standing before, uh, I think this one was standing before uh, Festus, um, or uh, Felix, I think it was. Uh, Felix is relaying to Festus like this guy, Paul. And he says this, Festus says to Felix, but the accusations made against him weren't of any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about the religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. And I just love this picture of, uh, Felix to Festus, they're passing the torch of leadership. Hey, you got this guy in prison? And he keeps telling me about a guy that everyone is saying is dead, but Paul is insistent he's not dead. He's alive. God is committed to accomplishing his will in your life. And what God's will for you is that you would bear witness to who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing in and through your life. 2 Corinthians says it like this. We are Christ's ambassadors. Same word here of witness. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's our witness. Come back to God. God brought me back to him I bear witness to that. Come back to God.